Green Invest Asia examines the role of finance and strong environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, to unlock land use investments that reduce climate impacts of agricultural and forestry commodities that we rely on for everyday life. We bring you the inside story on sustainable land use investments, what's working, what's not, and the green areas in between. This podcast is born out of a sustainable land use project by the same name and funded by the United States Agency for International Development, or USAID, which works with investors to support agricultural and forestry companies in Southeast Asia, reduce their carbon emissions through climate-smart operations. Hi, I'm Christy Owen, Director of USAID Green Invest Asia, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Jens Peterson, the Director of Investments for New Forest, a global investment manager of nature-based real assets and natural capital strategies. Uh, Jens represents the firm's Asia office in Singapore, which handles its investments in Southeast Asia. Uh, New Forest portfolio spans sustainable timber plantations, conservation areas, carbon and conservation finance projects, agriculture, timber processing, and related infrastructure. As Green Invest Asia's focus has been on agriculture and forestry in Southeast Asia, I've always thought the organizational mandates of New Forest, uh, as well as Green Invest Asia, had a lot of synergy. So I'm very excited to have Jens as a guest today, uh, just to dig a little bit deeper about New Forest, their model, trends, and where they're headed. So Jens, welcome. Great to have you here. For the benefit of our listeners, could you explain a little bit about the origin of New Forest and how you work? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. As you said, it's been a long time coming and I'm really pleased that we can have this conversation. With respect to New Forest, so the company was set up back in 2005 and was actually initially a asset manager, meaning that we were largely managing estates on behalf of institutional uh, clients. However, just after the financial crisis, we changed our business model such that we became a, a fund manager. So rather than just managing the operational aspects of the plantations, we're also managing the investment decisions. The growth has been quite rapid since then. We now have around 7 billion US dollars in assets under management. And that roughly corresponds to 1.2 million hectares of land that wow. we are managing globally. So initially, we were an Australian-based company. Our headquarters is in Sydney. But we also have offices in New Zealand, United States, Singapore, and Africa. And we are managing investments in all those regions. We had an episode late last year focused on how despite the meteoric growth of the carbon market, there's still lingering confusion about you know, what counts as a carbon offset project, how it's valued, how this helps prevent the worst fallout from climate change. You know, you've mentioned that carbon is a new area for new forests, carbon credits as a viable market. Could you talk a little bit about how you are situating and justifying moving into this evolving marketplace for your shareholders and for your company? So New Forest has a long history within the carbon markets. I mean, we were one of the pioneers in, in the United States where we started trading into the regulated markets. The voluntary markets, which is often what is in the news, that is something that is a bit more nascent. So you'll see in a lot of countries, the regulation is, is fairly nascent. The countries are still figuring out how actually to deal with markets and how they have to involve. So this is really something that is a work in progress. We, our initial approach here in Asia was that we focused on industrial tree plantations. That was the focus from our first fund. 
but we still at that point also had a focus on conserving the natural forest so for example all our plantations in asia fsc certified and as part of that we actually do set aside some high conservation value forest areas as part of obtaining that legislation so some of this conservation work we have in principle already done but what changes is that we can now focus even more on these activities given that we now have payment for ecosystem services you're absolutely right there's a lot of uncertainty around that. We try to implement our projects according to the highest standards. And so some of the things that we are focusing on is that the carbon offsets have to be real, meaning that we do a lot of scrutiny with respect to whether the offsets represent real emission reductions, avoided emissions, or carbon removals. They have to be additional meaning that the projects that we are implementing, they really have to be something that deviates from the status quo or the counterfactual, meaning like what would have happened if we hadn't implemented those uh, projects. They also have to be independently verified. As a general rule, we go by gold standard and VCS with CCB, but of course also other standards that are applicable and meet our quality requirements. Okay. We also address permanence, we address leakage, and most importantly, we ensure that the projects that we implement do not cause harm to the environment or to the any of the communities that might be impacted by those projects. Common opinion is that carbon markets and the financial incentive created by carbon credits is a tool in the arsenal for climate change solutions. And you know, the best one, the best ways to avoid climate change is to avoid deforestation. And and on that point, you know, new forest is in this kind of what I consider a relatively small subsector of funds, which has a very clear mandate from the early days to reduce deforestation and degradation in Southeast Asia, among other things, through the Tropical Asia Forest Fund or TAF. And I know that TAF 1 is, you're now on TAF 2. So where is the fund in its capital raise? So the fund had its first close about a year ago. So it was March 2022. And that was the first close at 120 million US dollars that we are currently uh, deploying. The fund is targeted to get its final close in 2023. And that is uh, targeted at 300 million dollars. And we are well underway to reach that target. Great. You've moved from TAF 1 into TAF 2. And I'm curious a little bit about the lessons that you are taking into the second capital raise based with on what you learned from the first raise under TAF 1. How and why has the mandate evolved from a focus on plantation management to include things like infrastructure and nature-based solutions? Do you see it expanding further towards more holistic, sustainable landscape management that would also then include agriculture and other asset classes potentially? Or are there other lessons as well that you're considering here? Yeah, I think you're touching upon the most important thing is really to try to maximize the impact that you're having with your investments on these landscapes. So mm -hmm. what we learned is that Asia has very heterogeneous landscapes. So the concession areas that we are acquiring or we are managing, it's not just a production forest. Mm -hmm. Very often you also have natural ecosystems there, you have endangered species, there are a lot of communities living in and around the concession areas. And by only focusing on one piece, meaning the production areas, Mm -hmm. That actually means that we are missing out on a large part of what we actually could do. And that's both in terms of like a positive environmental and social impact, but also a potential return for our investors. Mm -hmm. So if we take an example. In our first fund, we have a very large concession in Indonesia, approximately 100,000 uh, hectares. 
but only around 30 to 40,000 hectares of that. So 30 to 40% is actually suitable for production forest. Hmm. The remaining areas are largely degraded landscape. It's some high conservation value forest. And there are also areas that are being utilized by the roughly 2000 communities living in and around the concession areas. Now, the difference, if we were to look at this from the perspective of the second fund, is that we would, of course, still looking at the production areas, trying to develop those. We would mm-hmm. still do our community outreach. We'd still do our high conservation value forest conservation commitments. But we would go even further and then potentially trying to implement carbon projects, trying to do some restoration projects with respect to regenerating degraded landscapes. We could also be doing even more with the communities. So that could be energy projects such as cooking stoves, also outgrow programs and the like. Because in addition to having the expanded mandates, meaning that in addition to timber plantations, we can also invest into the infrastructure as well as the carbon energy-based solution aspect of a project. Mm-hmm. We also have a pool set aside to invest into so-called impact projects. And what that means is that TAF2 is essentially a blended finance uh, fund where we okay. can do more than just your, just commercial investments. So for our impact projects, they just need to fall within one out of three buckets. That's livelihoods, biodiversity, or climate. And so that means that we can implement projects that are not necessarily commercial in nature. There's no commercial hurdle rate to, uh, to implement those projects. But they will definitely have a positive impact on the landscape. And very often, they're also very synergetic with the primary investments that we are making. So, for example, if we are looking to implement a conservation or restoration project, very often you can implement biodiversity projects as well. And that can also be reflected in the perceived quality of the credits. So that means that from the perspective of who takes on those credits, Mm -hmm. they will be more valuable in that sense. So I think that's sort of like what we are developing towards trying to integrate these different kinds of asset classes when we are managing one landscapes. And I think it will go even further than this. So you mentioned agriculture Mm -hmm. and agriculture is obviously a huge part of landscape management here in Asia. Mm -hmm. And that would be a natural direction in which the mandate would develop. We will be focusing on managing a holistic landscape management approach and whatever we can do within that, that's where our mandate will expand towards. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know, this move away from thinking around silos and into more integrated, holistic systems, landscape type of programs that allow that flexibility to ensure sustainability in the long term. Building on that last response, for listeners who might be interested in financing from New Forests, can you describe what would make for an ideal nature-based or plantation-based investment in Southeast Asia for you? What would get your attention? That's a very good question. I mean, generally (laughs) speaking, we are fund managers, so we're typically looking for larger projects. So we already mentioned that like a plantation area or like a concession of around like 100,000 hectares where you Mm -hmm. can implement these different kinds of approaches. Mm -hmm. That would be ideal. We typically look at sort of like minimum areas for plantations at around 20,000 hectares that can be planted. So they are fairly sizable areas. We can also invest into uh, standalone infrastructure. So that's Mm -hmm. typically uh, wood processing, but it's also any other infrastructure affiliated with plantation forestry. So nursery, logistical infrastructure, and so on. 
And then, of course, we have conservation and restoration projects, meaning nature-based solutions. Here, we see those come in numerous shapes and forms. Mm-hmm. And so when we're looking at Red Plus projects, we typically target something that is around like 60,000 hectares and plus. But when we are looking at very carbon intensive, carbon rich projects, such as peatland restoration, uh, mangrove restoration and conservation, then the project size can be smaller. Okay. We take a very pragmatic approach where we are going in, working with the uh, owner of the project mm-hmm. to determine whether this is a feasible investment for us. So you did talk a little bit about kind of that you're now implementing outgrower programs in TAF2. What are some of these market forces and developments that New Forest is addressing or taking advantage of through TAF2 in terms of that expansion? Is that a market-driven decision or is that a development-driven decision? What's kind of pushed you in that direction? Yeah. One of the things we have experienced is that working with the local communities is extremely important for the kind of investments that we are making. Mm -hmm. And so if our investments are benefiting the communities, it's also good for us. So, for example, fire prevention is something that is commonly cited as an example. Mm -hmm. So in our concession area is obviously fairly large. And so working with the communities to discover and prevent fires early on is absolutely key. But we've also learned that once you start engaging with the communities, they are very acceptable towards new cooperation models, ways of working together. So for example, in Laos, we're building up an outgrow program. Mm -hmm. And that is where we are providing seedlings. We are training the people to grow their tree, the trees to the highest standards. And we are then also helping the outgrowers with the offtakes so they can get a better price for their wood. But one of the lessons learned was that once you teach the, uh, the farmers, they're extremely good at taking care of their trees because that mm-hmm. is essentially almost like a savings account. Yeah where they then can use that and then like pay for large expenses and so on. And whereas our plantation does very well, we have survival rates of around 95%. The outgrowers actually do even better. They're at around 97% survival rate. So it just means that once you work with them, they can actually really benefit the plantation itself. So it means that, for example, our processing facility can benefit from the wood that the outgrowers are, are growing. Mm-hmm. And that is particularly important in markets where you have a large number of, of smallholders, Vietnam being the prime example. Mm-hmm. And so once you can work with the communities, provide them with the high quality seedlings, provide them with that extra training, they can be a tremendous sort of feedstock for your processing facility and they will uh, blossom together with the business. So it's all sort of like a big ecosystem that is sort of like synergetic, meaning if one part of it flourishes, it typically spills over to another part, and that's how you create a really great sustainable business. Yeah, no, I think that's super helpful because you've been able to provide some actually some very clear examples and practical ways that it can that as an investor you can help support the investment benefits into communities and kind of integrate them into that whole the success factor right and i think that's been sort of a question in a lot of uh, the public space and donor driven models is is how to make sure that there's equitable benefits and that communities are not left behind as these investments move forward communities are as you know as you know very important in Southeast Asia in terms of their relationship with forests. 
the need to safeguard community rights is one of the reasons that's often given as a high risk for investing in land, just land rights, land tenure, and you know where who benefits. Um, and there's no shortage of headlines worldwide with allegations of corporate complicity and deforestation or human rights abuses, community displacement. But I know from just talking with you and your colleagues that you know this is, of course, very important to New Forest to mitigate that risk. And so I'm wondering um, if you can explain how you manage and mitigate those kinds of risks for your shareholders. Obviously, a key element is once you made the investment that you're then working constructively with the communities to create win-win situation. And that's very much in form of like getting the communities involved in simple matters such as fire detection and protection and prevention, and and also economically such that they're benefiting from your investments as, as well. But the real work actually starts before we are making the investment. So investigating social matters is a key component of the due diligence. So for example, New Forest would always go in and survey the communities. You always make sure that's been a free and informed prior consent, an FPIC process Mm -hmm. before making an investment. And if we can't, if there are conflicts with communities, if we see that this particular concession has come about by forcefully moving uh, communities or settlements, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then it's probably an investment that we can't make. And then also, once we have determined that these criteria are met, we will always produce an international standards, environmental and social impact assessments, where we are going in, we are determining the impact on the environment, but also on the communities that this particular project will have. And that's how we ensure that when we are making an investment, it's also sustainable from a community and social aspect. As we come up on the end of our chat here, if you could address a little bit how you've been able to lower risk for your investments by partnering with publicly funded technical assistance facilities like Green Invest Asia, working in partnerships with other organizations. How do these partnerships enable you to make more investments, better investments, faster investments, and lower risk investments? I think this sector in particular needs a blended finance approach, meaning Mm -hmm. that you have different kinds of funders Uh who takes different kinds of risks. And so one of the aspects that where we are particularly in benefit from organizations like GI Asia Uh is really at the initial stages. These particular assets, it's not always clear how you would implement your project. Very often, all you have is sort of like a landscape. You have to determine what kind of project can actually be implemented there. Mm-hmm. And the way that we are set up is that New Forest can run very large, very complex projects, mm-hmm. but we also have to be very selective on the um, assets that we're looking at. Our portfolio will be ideally around five to six assets. That's what we're looking at. And mm-hmm. so that means that we can't spend an intensive amount of time or extensive amount of time looking into one particular asset. Each asset we are looking at, we really have to determine, is this something we think where we can actually make an investment? Does it fit our mandate? And if it looks like it's too uncertain, it's too risky, we very often have to forgo. So where we, for example, use technical assistance facilities is that when we look at an initial project, we see something is there, but Uh it's something that requires an 
extensive amount of resources to determine whether it actually fits our mandates uh, with respect to asset classes, returns, and so on, and whether we can actually make that investment. And so that's where we can come in via technical assistance facilities fund initial feasibility studies. That will lower some of the uncertainty with respect to that investment. And we can very quickly determine, is this something that we can actually invest in? It really lowers the investment hurdle, and it allows us to spread our resources investigates many more investments like what we would usually be done. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Kind of helps you sift through all the options out there and make sure that the ones that you do pursue and put the real resources behind are are actually viable and investment worthy. So this is my last question for you. I really appreciate the time and walking us through the evolution from TAF1 to TAF2 and how you're looking at new market trends with nature-based solutions and moving into more integrated and holistic thinking around landscapes and how investments made by new forests can be more impactful. As we wrap things up here, just wondering what your takeaway might be to leave with our listeners today. And as you think towards the future. I think the takeaway is really that this is a very nascent space, but it's also a very exciting space. So you mentioned carbon markets, payment for ecosystem services. We are really at the beginning of this journey. And so that means that by actively being involved in the sector, by actively contributing, you are actually building out an entire new industry. I mean, even though CDM and other mechanisms have been around for a while, it's it's really now where it's been taken really serious with respect to climate change mitigation. And I have to emphasize that offsetting is not the way out of the climate crisis. We have to abate emissions, we have to reduce emissions. And then when we get to the point where we really can't get rid of the emissions, that's when we have to implement uh, offsets. And in that respect, nature-based solutions are really an exciting area because one part is decarbonization, but it's also a matter of like preserving our our natural ecosystems. It's exciting that you can make investments into the space, generate a return for the investments, and then really actively contribute to mitigating climate change and preservation of natural habitats. I think we still have a lot of of work to be done. I think step by step in the right direction. And I'm looking forward to say that we've made a real difference with the money that we are deploying for TEF2 and change the world for the better. Thanks, Jens. I share your optimism and your excitement. I think this is a space that's full of opportunities, uh, really is benefit a new forest. I really appreciate your thorough and very thoughtful inputs into how it can be done and the model that's being pursued by New Forests. For those who've been listening, we have been talking to New Forest Director of Investments, Jens Peterson, who joined us from New Forest's office in Singapore to talk about the company's investment strategy, its Tropical Asia Forest Fund, and trends for and the future for helping us reduce the impacts of climate change and have a healthy planet. So to our listeners, thank you. We'll continue to bring you more investment voices, insights, and updates from Southeast Asia on climate smart agriculture and forestry in coming episodes. Thank you so much. This episode was supported by the United States Agency for International Development, or USAID, which partners with the private sector worldwide to unlock capital and drive inclusive growth in emerging economies. Learn more at usaid.gov and greeninvestasia.com.